This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. John chapter 13, we're going to start today, we're going to talk about a few different things to begin. In the upcoming weeks, you see the GPS up here. That is our heart and desire for every one of us in here to become disciples of Christ. To give, to pray, and to serve. But today we're going to talk about a thing called vision, better yet, heartbeat. That's all vision is. It, it's, it's your heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of the church. And a lot of times your heartbeat will center around what you think about, what you talk about, and how you act. Now, it's got to be centered around Jesus and around people. That's always got to be the, the top of the chart. Jesus and people. And when I center my life around Jesus and people, I'll go from living ordinary to extraordinary. And that's God's desire for every one of us in here. Now, I can tell you some things this morning. We're going to talk about the, the heartbeat of the church. We believe in Father God here. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, okay? We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the, the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. So I just want that to get started. And throughout this morning here, we're going to give you an idea of the church, the, the heartbeat of it, but also the heartbeat that God has for you, and He does. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He had come from God and was going to God, He rose from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel, which he was girded. I want you to think about this. Try to get this picture in your mind. They had just eaten their evening meal. And Jesus takes this servant's towel and girds himself, and he pours water in a basin. And the very creator of everything bows before the creation. Actually bows to the creation. And I believe this this signifies Jesus' humility, number one. Number two, it shows Jesus' love for people. But in this passage right here, I believe he's modeling what he wants me and you to do. To live with humility but also a servant's heart. Now, let me ask you something here. Have you ever had somebody wash your feet in this capacity? I have, and it it was very humbling for me to have it. Actually, I didn't like it. I didn't want them doing that. But when I reversed rows or rolls, I enjoyed the opportunity to wash someone's feet. And so right here, Jesus gives us some insight on how me and you are to live. I'm never above other people. I am to serve and I am to put on a robe of humility. Now, in this passage here, I want us to go back to verse 3. Jesus gives us three significant insights here. First of all, in verse 3, number 1, he says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew that Father God had empowered him. 
And when Father God empowered Jesus, he said, listen, I want you to influence this place called earth. Just as Father God empowered Jesus, Jesus has empowered me and you. And his goal for us is to influence this, this world, this earth, and to lead as many people as we can to him. And we're going to do that through our talents and our abilities that God gave us. Now that's the desire of the church here. To win as many people to Jesus as we can. For you and for me to do that. Now if you look at the church, guys, every one of us in here, we're not called just to be spectators. Nowhere in the Bible do I find that you are called just to be a church attender. We are come and to be busy and to get involved and be the body of Christ. Because whether you believe this or not, you're needed. That's the first point that Jesus makes. The second one, he says, and. And that he had come from God. Jesus came from God, guys. God sent him here to the earth. And just as Jesus came from God, you and I came from God. The problem with our lot of, li- our lot of our lives, and me in particular, I can tell you, I got sidetracked for a number of years. For about 20 years of my life, I got away from the things of God. But thank God, He never gave up on me. And He's never given up on you. And God will bring you back. And God wants to save you. And a lot of times, when you give your heart to, to, to Jesus, people will say, well, I know your past. You know what, I can stand before you today and I can tell you, I know my past too. And I was a sinner that Jesus brought back and Jesus saved me. And Jesus set me free and Jesus restored me. And that is the heartbeat of the church right here. That God still wants to bring people back. No matter what you've done in life, I'm going to tell you today, God loves you. And He wants to heal you. And He wants to redeem you. And He wants to restore you. Every one of us in this room, I can reassure you, He still takes messes and makes miracles. Jesus Himself said this, Those who are well are not in need of a physician, but those who are sick. And He's talking spiritually. We should never be upset When people come in here that are spiritually sick. We should rejoice at that, okay? Thank God that God still has a heart for people that have blown it. Now, we know where we've come from. I just want to tell you a little bit about where the church came from. Many of you may have not attended this church very long. And so I'm going to go back and and just give you a little bit of insight on how this church was born. In July of 2000, we had a a Bible study in a little duplex with six adults and two children. Our first service, we had a whopping eight people, guys. It doesn't bother me to minister to eight or eight hundred. I believe this, that people, every one of us in here, are important to God. Every person. So surprisingly, and I'm going to use the word surprisingly because I'll get in detail about that word here in a minute. The church grew. After the first month, we had outgrown the duplex. We were now at 27 people. We started renting a room at the Holiday Inn right over here on the South Loop. 
And every Sunday, for like eight months, we would set up and we would tear down church right there in the Holiday Inn. Surprisingly, it continued to grow to the point we rented a, a, a building out on off of 56th and Q in that area in Briarcroft Court. Many of you started attending there. And it kept growing, surprisingly. And the reason I say surprisingly, because when we were pastoring that church, guys, I lived 100 miles away. We lived in Clovis. So for approximately the first three years of this church, we commuted every weekend to Lubbock while we kept our full-time job. And it would blow me away that the church just kept growing. Now, in talking about this, guys, I'm not here to compare us to other churches, okay? That's not my goal. I believe in the church, other churches too. We do things differently, and that's just how unique the body of Christ is. But after a period of time, our, our, our room or our building out there at Barcroft was rented out from underneath us. And so now we were churchless. We had a man in the church who had a, a business called the Black Tie Casino. We literally began to have church in an old casino. The first Sunday there behind these curtains, literally, guys, was roulette tables, crap tables, about any table you wanted. And God continued to bless that. And we've been now in this building for eight years. I can tell you this, anything that's healthy is going to grow. I also want to stand before you today and say this. I am very appreciative of loyal people. Some of you have been here for years and years and years. And I say from the depth of my heart today, I honor that. Loyalty is a big deal to me. So thank you for putting up with me all these years. And I tell you guys right now, we're going to continue to grow. Because anything that grows is healthy. And listen, we're not about just numbers, but I want you to know this. Fully understand this this morning. The reason I talk about growing is because every person, everyone that you're seated around right now, is a living, breathing testimony of God. Every one of us. And that we are a story of what God's done. Some of you have served God your whole life. Bless you. Some of you have served Him for a part of your life. Some of you were like me that got off track. But I can tell you today, God still loves you, okay? He's still got heart for the things of heaven in your life. Now look at the last end in verse 3. And that He had come from God and that He was going to God. Jesus knew this. John eight fourteen. Jesus said He knew where He came from and he, we, where He was going. Jesus came to the earth to influence it. And, and he did that. But you may ask today, where are we going? Well, first of all, as a church, our desire has been for every Sunday for you to experience the kingdom of God. For you to sense the things of God in your life. For you to, to have an encounter with God. How do we have an encounter for, uh, with God right here? Well... We desire to have the best praise and worship we can. That's one of the ways we encounter God. And so when you come in here, man, begin to worship. Begin to praise Him. Lift your hands because God wants to speak to you. The second encounter we have 
is Jesus told the Apostle Peter there in John 21, 15, he said, feed my sheep. I believe you can have an encounter with God every week just through the Word of God. Now, I'm not here to give you a, a, a bunch of, of thoughts, Reader's Digest. We're here to give you the Word of God, okay? We're going to preach the Word of God. And so that's part of the encounter with God. But also, our desire is that you encounter God through altar calls, that you encounter God through our prayer teams, that our desire is every time you come in here, God speaks to you. And I believe He will. That's His goal for every one of us. We also love the thought to minister to your children. We don't have babysitting sessions around here. We get the Word of God into your children. We want to minister to your youth every week. And so that's part of the heartbeat of God that's always been here and it always will be. This church, guys, I believe is an Acts 2 church. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, okay? I love the thought of the Holy Spirit. Also, when you read in Acts 2, you find out that Peter quoted the prophet Joel in Acts 2, or in Joel 2. And it says here that in these last days that God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. That our young will prophesy. That our young will see visions. That our old will dream dreams. And our old will prophesy. I believe that, guys. I believe things are happening. But I want to just testify real quick here this morning. Since we fasted as a church, we had a corporate fast in early January. More people are dreaming than I've ever heard before. How many of you have had dreams in the last month? Just raise your hand. Just all over. Look what's happening. God is filling us with dreams of heaven and things. Well, I, I was down in Dallas on Thursday night. And I got a call from one of our men in our church. And he said, Pastor, I need five minutes of your time. I've got to tell you something. So I said, tell me, tell me. And I didn't know if it was good or bad when he first started. But they were in the first service. And their name is Gary and Dana Bender. They had a 33-year-old son that passed away back in July of a brain tumor. I don't know anything that could be more difficult than losing a child. Very, very difficult on them. Actually, he literally died before their eyes in three years. He passed away in his mama's arms. Right there. And so he said that last Sunday night, he had a dream. And he said the dream was about my son. And he said, I saw him. And he said, the last few days on this earth, he didn't have smiles on his face. But in this dream, he was standing there and he was smiling at me. And he said before he left that his whole right side of his body had became paralyzed and he could never use it. But he said, I noticed while he was standing there smiling at me, his right arm was having use again. I believe this with all my heart that God was telling him. Number one, your son's okay. Number two, I want you to be okay. To mommy and daddy. He gets up the next day. He gets a call from his best friend, who's an attorney, 
who was a, a district attorney who was now a federal judge in, in the United States in Las Cruces, New Mexico. That was appointed by President Bush. This federal judge calls him on Monday morning and says, Gary, i got to tell you something. He said, last night I had a dream. And I saw Garrett. Garrett was his son that passed away. And, and, and Gary said, I said to him, wait a minute. When did you have this dream? And he said, last night. And he said, Garrett stood before me. And he said, he had his arms up and he looked at me and, and he said, I asked him, are you okay? And he said, I'm great. I'm great. And he asked about his mom and dad. And I thought, this is just the significance of God. That I believe in this church that He's wanting to release through the Holy Spirit ones of you to dream again. And to have visions and stuff. And I believe that's part of the encounter that we get to share as a a group of believers together. And even in my own life, guys, I can tell you this. I hadn't been a big dreamer until the last few weeks. And I had a dream that I even saw myself in heaven and it moved me. And I hadn't shared this with hardly anyone but about a week ago. I had a dream. And there was a beautiful woman standing there. And I'm not positive who it is. Totally yet. But I'm almost sure it's my grandmother. And it takes back when she was a young lady. And I've seen pictures of her as a young lady. And it's very soothing to me. To know my grandma's in heaven. And I believe that's the same he'll do with you. If some of you have lost family members. I believe this is just the goodness of God. But it's part about being a part of a church. And so we are an Acts 2 church. We believe in dreams. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But you know what else we believe in? That God welcomes all people here. And I want you to feel welcome. As an 18-year-old who had lived in a lot of sin, I went to a church one Sunday. And I wasn't welcome there at all. To the point I said out of my mouth, I don't know that I'll ever go to another church again. I never want people to feel that way in this church. I don't care what you look like, your past, we welcome you, okay? Bring your family members that are good sinners. Bring them, and I say that with all my heart. And so our goal for this church is to see people saved. That's our heartbeat, guys. But also where you be restored and you be healed and you be delivered. Where you be, be, be filled with the Holy Ghost and be filled with vitality. Where you become a disciple of Christ. And ultimately in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how that takes place. That the greatest growth in my life is when I begin to give, when I begin to pray, and I begin to serve. And I believe this will begin to help you to understand the heartbeat of this church, but also why it's important for you to become a disciple of Christ. And maybe these will answer questions for your life. But the rest of this morning, we're going to talk about the heartbeat that God has for you specifically. Go to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And as you're turning there, Let me ask you some questions today as you're turning to Exodus 2, right there in the front of your Bible. What pulls at your heart? 
What tugs at your heart? What really bothers you in life? What seems to get your attention? And I believe when you can answer those, it'll begin to show you the vision, the calling, the heartbeat that God has for you. Now, this is a story about a man named Moses. Moses is approximately 40 years in this passage. He's 40 years old right here. Moses was born Hebrew or Jewish, but he was raised or taught Egyptian. Exodus chapter one or two, verse number eleven. Exodus two, verse eleven. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren. I believe this, guys. There's times in our life as Christians we got to go out. We got to get around people. We got to get around the world. Okay. Not that they influence you, but we influence them. And so he went out to his brethren, and he looked at their burdens. He looked at their burdens. You know what this is? That Moses wasn't entrapped in his thoughts, in his life. In other words, there was more to life than just him. And he saw their burdens. He saw their hurts. Have you ever taken time just to study people? To listen to them? To see maybe what their cries and their hurts are. Well, that's what he did. And he goes on to say here, And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. I don't know if you've ever seen someone get beaten. It's not a pleasant sound to hear someone's nose get broken, to see the blood. But this is what was taking place with Moses. He was watching people getting beaten. Verse, verse 12. So Moses looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Now, I'm not saying, guys, you're killing someone's right. But Moses' passion and his indignation right here were so strong with him, within him that he kills this man. Injustice stirred within Moses. He couldn't stand how people were getting treated. And so in Moses' life, he didn't sit there and just think about what he could do. He did something about it. Let me ask, what stirs within you? What injustice stirs within you? And this has happened throughout society with whether it's men and women in the Bible or even people. I look at King David. The injustice that stirred within King David was when he brought the, uh, the cheese up and the supplies to his brothers. And he saw this Philistine named Goliath bullying the children of Israel. And you know what he said? I can't take it anymore. You're not going to bully him anymore. You can go back and look at people throughout the the societies over and over. Mother Teresa, can't take it no more. Can't take it. Martin Luther King, I can't take it no more. Rosa Parks, I can't take it no more. I'm not going to stand here and put up with the injustice. You look at the singer Bono. He saw all the AIDS victims in Africa. said, I can't take it no more. Once again, a lot of times the very injustices in our heart This becomes our calling. This becomes our heartbeats. And in my own life, guys, I work for a utility company. 
Day after day after day for 18 years, I worked in alleys. You know who's in alleys? The homeless. The drunks. The winos. The have-nots. Guys, I begin to get a heart for them. People that when they died, no one missed them. But it began to bother me. And once again, there's times in our life that God looks for just one person who will say, I'll stand up for people. I'll stand up for someone who can't stand up for themselves. Exodus chapter 3. Begin with me in verse 4. And this is just talking about the burning bush. And it says, So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look at the burning bush, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. So God uses this burning bush to get, to get Moses' attention. And he wanted to talk to Moses. And he wanted to, get to, to give him his heart. Keep reading, verse 5. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. The reason you take your sandals off your feet was out of respect. And God said, Take your sandals off your feet. Why? For the place where you stand is holy ground. You know why it's holy ground? Because anywhere God visits, it's holy ground. That's why these altars are holy ground. Keep reading here with me. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. Now when I look at this, God says here, I've seen their oppressions. I've seen their sorrows. You know what God is saying to Moses here? The very things you've seen, Moses, I've seen. And the very things that frustrate you, Moses, they frustrated Father God. And many, many times, guys, frustration is the very indicator of your calling. It's the very indicator of your heartbeat. What frustrates you in life? What injustices bother you? It could be anywhere from human trafficking. It could be to orphans. It could be to the homeless. It could be to the fatherless. Once again, it may look different for every one of us, but I believe God is calling ones right here in this church to say, you make a difference. What are you going to do to help change people's lives? Verse 8. Now listen to what God says here. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians. And to bring them up. That's God's calling always. I want to bring people up. I want people to go to a better level of life. And to the land, to a good and large land, flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Mosquitoites, the Moabites, all of them. Every one of them. Verse 9. Now therefore behold... The the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. 
I wonder this morning how many cries of God's children all over this world have come to Him. And He goes on to say this, And I've also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now. Two times He uses the word now. I sense when He was talking to Moses here, the urgency. Don't keep putting this off. Come therefore now, and I will send you. Now this is interesting to me. It said God came down to rescue them, but yet He says to Moses, I now send you. So you know how God operates in this realm called earth? Through people like you and me. And so He says to Moses, I send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So he's saying, I need someone right here on the earth who will do it. Now you'll look here at Moses' response. And his response many times is similar to mine and yours. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know what he was saying? I'm inadequate. If you study Moses' life, he had a problem with stuttering. I can't do it. Every one of us in this room have that thought. I can't do that. I've said that to Father God. I can't stand before people and speak. I don't like people. That was used to. And I would debate this with Father God, and I'm telling you, it would freak me out to think, You're going to use me. And this is what happens to all of us. But once again, He empowers us. He wants to use us. He wants us to be His hands. He wants us to be His voice in this place called earth. I look in in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said to Peter, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I will use stones and rocks of people just like you. I'll use you. And with God, God doesn't look for ability. God looks for availability. And when you begin to make yourself available, look what He says to Moses. Verse 12. So He said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and they say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that word, I am who I am, it talks about God's characteristics and God's attributes. The issue wasn't Moses. The issue was who was with Moses. And anytime God sends you, He'll equip you, okay? Anytime you make yourself available, there'll be an anointing. Something will begin to happen. And so this is what happened. But ultimately, this was birthed from a holy discontentment. Let me ask you today, what things frustrate you? What things bother you? I want to see people treated right. And sometimes they just need someone to stand up for them. 
The Bible's very clear that Jesus was moved with compassion. Are you moved with compassion? What bothers you? Let's end today in Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter 18. I want to encourage you today. It takes just one. Just one Moses. Just one David to make a difference in people's lives. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. But the last of that verse says, Created for good works. Once again, as a believer, I'm not called to spectate, guys. I'm not called just to be a church attender. I'm called to make a difference in people's lives right here. And you may say, where at? I tell you, guys, we are in, in, in dire needs of father figures, of men. And guys, it's never against the Ten Commandments for men to work in children's ministry, okay? Wednesday night, there was over a hundred children upstairs. A hundred of them. You know what my wife said? It was organized chaos. She said it was such a blessing to see that many kids. One of our ladies after the first service, she said, Pastor, you don't see me in adult services on Wednesday night. She said, we started serving upstairs. And she said, it's such a blessing to me. And I said, why? She said, a couple weeks ago, I got to pray for a little girl who asked for prayer. She said she cried and cried and cried and cried and wept. And I said, why? And she said, her grandmother died. And she was so tore up. She said, I got to pray for another one. And she said her mommy and daddy had, had separated. Guys, there's ministry, uh, ministry needs all over this church. Whether it's with our teenagers, whether it's with youth, or right here, guys. We need people to step up. You and you and you and you. And sometimes we say, well, I'm not called to children's ministry. You're called to serve. That may be in children's ministry. And some of you would say, well, I bet you never served there. I bet you I did. Because when I began to speak, my vocabulary wasn't much better than it is now. And God blessed me so much that the first group of people I ever spoke to was a bunch of fifth and sixth graders. And I remember those days that you know what had to happen? I had to study. I had to get in the Word. I had to go prepared. But you know what? I understood at church, someone was dependent on me, okay? And I didn't call in at 30 minutes before the service and say, Sorry, Charlie. I showed up. And all God was teaching me was character. You know what God says? If you're not faithful in the little, you'll never be faithful in much. And then God got me around a, a, a man who knew how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. And every time I'd get around this God, uh, around this man, he had encounters with God. He would always share, this is what's on my heart. And I would think, he's been talking to Shelley. He could tell me stuff that was going on in my life and it would freak me out. But when I began to learn to pray with him and hang out with him. And then guys, when I learned to start giving that it was more than about me, God began to move. And it's about just one person. Just one person. 
Because once again, everybody that's sitting by you is a living, breathing testimony of God. Now look at Jesus' heartbeat here in Matthew 18. Verse 11. For the Son of Man has to come to save that which was lost. What was lost? People. Because people matter to God. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray and does not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountain to seek the one that is straying, and if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Wow. What would happen if we'd get a heart just for the one? Maybe the one you work with. Maybe the one that lives next door. Maybe the one child in children's church. Maybe the one teenager, guys, who doesn't have someone to stand up and pray for him. Just the one. And that's become my prayer. Give us a heart just for one, Father God. That one is precious, regardless of how they look. And I haven't been pastoring very long. We were out on Briarcroft Court, and I was speaking, and toward the end of the service, this guy walked in. And his clothes were the clothes of someone who had been living out of a dumpster, guys. And after the service, he came walking toward me. And the man of faith and power that I am, I hadn't a thought. He's just wanting money. And he came up to me and he said, I need that Jesus that you talked about this morning. And he had what I call on, leave me alone, cologne. He smelled like dumpster. And he smelled like trash. And he smelled like urine. And Jesus right there said something prolific to me that day. That I've never forgot. He said I died for that smell. Just that one. Just that one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.